Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Well, welcome again. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn. My name's Russ. I'm one of the pastors here. As Nathan said, our tagline is wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. If you've been here for a bit, you notice that I'm standing today, which is a little different. I, it's not really that great of a story. I just have some arbitrary uh, bifurcation in my head that when I sit, that equates a little bit more teaching. And when I stand, it's a little more uh, preaching and exhortation. It's totally not biblical, so don't quote or look for scripture for that. That's just in my own head. It's my own hangup. Um, and today might be a little bit more exhortation today. Hopefully it's still very much teaching, but there you go. We'll see how it goes. Um, we are in a series, our summer series called Storytime with Jesus. We've been looking at some of the parables of Jesus and asking the question of why parables? What is Jesus trying to teach us? As uh, you may remember, if you've been with us, parables are essentially common concepts that Jesus employs. Yeast, uh, sheep and goats, a lot of pastoral imagery uh, for the first century, a lot of home imagery. He uses common concepts, but he employs them in a very uncommon way. He turns them on their head, um, such that if you're listening in the first century, you understand 99% of the words Jesus is using. You just don't necessarily understand or I should say, you don't necessarily know how to put it in practice after he finishes, right? So you know what he's talking about. You know how yeast works. You know how sheep and goats, you know, function. But then you get to the end and you're like, wait, what does this mean? How do I go out and live this? So it provokes a response, a conundrum of how the listeners are to respond. And today we're going to be in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, turn to that. We're also going to put it on the screen behind it, me. Luke 18. And we're going to go verses 1 through 8. 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a certain judge. This judge neither feared God nor cared about people. And there was also a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, give me justice against my adversary. Now for some time, he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God <clears throat> and I don't care about people, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on the earth. So first, first glance, not much of a conundrum there, right? We know what it's about. Luke gave us the interpretation. Verse one, Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always. Their need to pray always and not to lose heart. Well, there we go. The parable is about us continuing to, prayer, to pray. What is uh, 
the provocation in that? Where's the tension? Well, I think the tension is in the nature of the characters. The tension gets into play when we understand what kind of judge we're talking about and what kind of widow we're dealing with. So Jesus says, in a certain city, there was a certain judge. Any city, any judge. But this judge had two key characteristics. This judge neither feared God nor respected people. Now, those are both interesting descriptions. That first one, he didn't fear God. Well, that's important because of the counterpoint, the counter character in the story, which is the widow. The widow, if you have any familiarity with the people of Israel, God, the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, us as Christians, the God, this God cares enormously about those who are vulnerable in society, enormously. Um, and often when you read scripture, when you read these verses, when God talks to the people of Israel, he sort of sums it up. He has a shorthand way of describing those who are left unprotected by societal structures. He calls them widows and orphans. The widows and orphans are those who are left unprotected by society, and God cares enormously about them. So one, one you know, example out of many, you can really take your pick, Deuteronomy 27.9. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say amen. I love that Jesus, or, not, or God in this case, he doesn't allow, you know, call and response. So cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And then you want to raise your hand and go, I have a couple questions. No, 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 all the people shall say amen. What do all the people say? Amen. amen. All the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice. All the people say amen. That's it. But... Jesus says, this judge doesn't fear God. So he doesn't care about God's commands to provide justice to the widow. So the widow of this, uh, of this story already has her card stacked against her. Did anyone watch like Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon growing up? Anyone? Yes. All right. I watched Yu-Gi-Oh, but I couldn't remember any of the cards. So don't judge me. But it's this great, like awesome show. It's like you, you build your deck of cards and you play your cards, right? So imagine... That, I'm going to use the Pokemon example, but imagine that this widow has a card full of Pikachus, all right? Pikachus are very weak cards, okay? They're not going to help you that much, despite what the show said. So she's just playing Pikachu after Pikachu, and nothing's happening because the judge is like, another Pikachu, all right, I'm going to play, I don't know, a Velociraptor or something, I'm going to get you. But then this widow has one card. She has the best card in the entire deck. It's called the Yahweh card. And when she plays that card, it's like, nah, it's over. Like that's the card when that one is played, you lose the game for the people of Israel. This was her card, her get out of jail free card. But this judge doesn't fear God. So she plays her Yahweh card and then he's like, I play my I don't care card because I don't fear God. This was her primary protection as a widow in the people of Israel. Doesn't matter. All right, so maybe there's another angle. Maybe there's another entrance point. But Jesus sort of, you know, clogs that hole as well. We're told this is a certain judge who neither fears God nor has respect for people. Now, the Greek connotation of that phrase, uh, the word is intrepo, means to have a sense of shame. So this is a judge who feels no shame. <laughs> He doesn't care what you say about him. 
He doesn't care if you come crying and you show this excessive display of emotion. He doesn't care, right? He has no respect for humans. If you called him names, if you threw a tantrum, doesn't matter. Whether this widow is just in her case, we don't know. All we know is the judge doesn't care she's a widow because he doesn't fear God. And the judge doesn't care what people think of him. See, that was the other entry point. Maybe the widow was like, okay, well, you don't fear God, so you don't care that I'm a widow, but maybe you care a lot about what people think about you. And they know because they're good practicing Jews that you should be looking after me. So you're gonna do what's best for me because of your reputation. But he has no sense of shame. He doesn't care what you say about him. So both of the primary angles are totally, are totally just clogged up. Doesn't fear God, doesn't care she's a widow, no sense of shame, doesn't care if others care she's a widow. There's no entry point. I remember just as an example, uh, my, my wonderful wife, Anna, she was actually pulled over nine times um, in, in her driving life, lifetime. Nine times, only received one ticket, one ticket, I'm gonna see if you can deduce the difference between the eight times she did not receive a ticket and the one when she did. Uh, the eight where she did not, uh, they were male officers who pulled her over. And the one when she did, it was a female officer. She had no angle. She had no angle with that. That's kind of getting to the same point. This widow has no angle to this judge right now. However, we see the description of the judge this widow is a baller. <laughs> the widow apparently did not get the memo that she's a widow. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus says, well, this is the judge, but this widow kept coming. In the Greek, that's an imperfect verb, uh, which is meant to um, display continuous action. So Jesus didn't say that she came once and then stopped. She kept coming over and over and over. Now, it's important that she's the one coming because in the Jewish tradition, um, this is a male-dominated court. So as it should have been, if the widow had a closest kinsman, a male kinsman, he should have represented her case before the judge. The fact that Jesus is saying that she's the one coming means she has no kinsman to represent her case. This is literally the worst of all possible situations. She has no one able, no male able to represent her case. So she's aware of the judge's reputation that he doesn't fear God. She's aware of her lack of status as a widow in this community. She's aware she has no kinsman who can represent her. And she kept coming. She kept coming. Notice what she didn't do. She didn't start complaining. Which, she had every right to start complaining. She has no kinsman. She got the wrong judge of all the Jewish judges. He doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people. She has no one to represent her. She's a widow. She didn't ask for her husband to die. She had every right to just stop and start complaining. And everyone would have, her friends would have been like, no, I get you, this is really tough. She didn't. She kept coming and she came again and again and again saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. I'm not gonna stop until you give me justice. 
Jesus goes on and says, for some time the judge refused. Of course he would, right? (laughs) He doesn't care. He refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God and I don't care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't wear me out. (laughs) She didn't get the memo that she's a widow with no power, no agency, and that she should assume her role as a hopeless, helpless victim. That this was a judge that just did not care. It's almost like when you hear this story, he's saying to her, I don't care. And she says, with all due respect, I don't care more. (laughs) I don't care, no, 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 I don't care more. I'm telling you no, 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 no. You're gonna tell me yes. He does not fear God, nor do people affect him. He says that. Jesus goes, his, her argument did not convince him. Her argument is not convincing, but she will not leave me alone. The only thing affecting me is that she won't go away. She keeps causing me labor. It's his own self-preservation that leads him to give her what she wants. It's his own self-preservation that leads him to give her what she wants, and it's fear. In the Greek, that, that, that phrase for, so that she won't wear me out, is hupa piazzo, which actually is a boxing term, which means to give a black eye. This judge is afraid that this widow's bark is actually not as great as her bite. As Joel Green writes, the action he proposes on behalf of this widow is not motivated by his commitment to God's priorities, nor by his concern for his standing in the community, nor by any residual altruism on his part. He is motivated rather by the woman's astonishing behavior. She is acting so out of station that he muses, she may even be capable of assaulting him with more than words. He's like, I'm trying to preserve myself. She won't go away. Also, I'm kind of afraid of her she might become physical. This is a really humorous image painted by Jesus. You have the strongest of society, a judge, and, at least in this case, the strongest of the strong because he he doesn't fear God, he doesn't care what people think. He's impenetrable. He's absolutely impenetrable. The strongest of the strong potentially getting beat up by the weakest of the weak. Not just a widow, but a widow with no kinsman. She has to represent herself. This is a very humorous image. I like to think, so some of y'all know I have a dog named Moses. Uh, He's a golden retriever. He is, he's an angel. Like he's super, super docile and calm. My sister-in-law has a teacup chihuahua named Chloe. You know exactly where I'm going with this. She is not an angel. She is crazy. Apparently, this dog, maybe chihuahuas in general, they did not get the memo of how small they are. They do not know their own size. Chloe will put Moses in the corner like it's nothing. When he comes over, she starts barking. She starts nap, like going after his feet. Moses is afraid. He backs up. This is kind of what's going on. Jesus is demonstrating in this widow an agency beyond what society says she possesses. 
Or perhaps this widow does not accept what society says she is. Perhaps she does not accept who this judge is or how much power this judge has. Or maybe she does, she just doesn't care. (laughs) She does not care. The tenacity, the ruthlessness, the agency of this widow is astonishing. And Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. I'm not convinced by your argument. I don't fear God. I don't care what people think. But she won't go away. (laughs) She won't give up. So I'll do what she asked to get rid of her so that she doesn't get violent with me. (laughs) And God, and God, will he not answer the prayers of his chosen one who are crying out to him day and night? I say to you that he will. Jesus says he will, and he will in haste. But when the Son of Man comes, that is to say, when Jesus returns, will he find faith on the earth? If the unjust judge will grant the plea, how much more so God who is full of justice and full of mercy? If the widow demonstrates such tremendous faith, faith that she will get her way, how much more so you, the chosen ones of God, who know that God is good. Widow and judge are out here, but you and God are right here. How much more so? The chosen ones. But will Jesus find that kind of faith when he comes back? In the Greek, it actually has the definite article before faith. So you should read it, the faith, when he comes back, meaning the faith of the widow. Will he find that kind of stubborn unaware, illogical faith in who God says he is. I think many of us, when we pray, because remember, this is, a, this is a message about the need to pray and not to give up. Many of us pray as Augustine writes in the fourth century. I know I do. This is definitely my temptation. He writes, many a Christian prays faintly, lest God might really hear him, which he poor man never intended. Don't we? We pray, but we pray faintly. Not sure if God's really listening, not sure if he cares, not really wanting him to hear. Augustine actually writes uh, in his, his book, Confessions, that he was praying for, um, for a particular area in his own life, um, praying for it to, to, to overcome this. And he goes, years later, he realized that all those years that he was praying for it, his lips were praying these words, oh, please do this for me, please do this for me. But all the time his heart was saying, just don't do it yet. Just don't do it yet. Are we that type? Are we praying faintly? Not sure if God's really listening. Not sure if we really want God to hear. Because we know if he does and he answers, there's gonna be a response. We're kind of comfortable with where we are, aren't we? Luke starts by saying this is a parable to his disciples to always pray and to never lose heart, which is again uh, kind of a misreading of that second word, to lose heart. When you hear that word, to lose heart, you kind of think passively, don't you? Like the world is stealing your heart. It's taking it away, right? Things are happening and I'm losing heart. I'm growing weary. But it's actually, in the Greek, it's the word egkakeo, 
which is an active verb. It means, kakeo uh, means uh, to live badly, to live wickedly. Egg is, is the, the preposition out of. So it's kind of wooden, but it has the idea to live in a way out of the faith, since we're talking about faith here. Here's why that's fascinating. Because Jesus is saying, this is a parable to his disciples, to you and me, to always pray and not to lose heart. But both options are active options. None of them are passive. You have two choices in play. The choice of faith, found in constant prayer, found in dependence on God, found of people of no power, crying out, it feels like, toward an unbreachable judge, but showing up again and again and again, despite circumstances, despite expectations, despite past results. That's one option. And the other option is not to sort of allow the world to defeat you, Though that does happen, the other option is not to passively lose heart, but to actively live contrary to this faith. Jesus will not allow his disciples to be passive victims. Which that stabs me in the heart. He will not allow his disciples to be passive victims. It's kind of like V for Vendetta. They can take everything from you except the last thing, how you respond to circumstances. They can't take that. Both options are active options. And where you think you're a victim and whatever it may be in your life, you're making a decision to accept the world's definition of a widow's power and agency. Where you think you're a victim where I think I'm a victim, where I sit down and start complaining, I'm making a decision, an active decision, to accept the world's definition of my power, of my God's willingness, of whatever it may be. I'm making an active decision. There are no passive victims in this parable. But you notice the parable isn't really about you. Even though it says the parable is about to pray always and not to to lose heart. It's not really about you. Because it's kind of all up to God, isn't it? Jesus is kind of gesturing to these active decisions we make. And they really have one conclusion. If I'm praying continuously, it's because I actually am choosing to believe. Even if I don't feel it, even if I'm angry, even if I'm bitter, even if I'm cynical. I'm choosing to actively believe that God is who he says he is or I'm actively choosing to not. And if he is, then by God, I'm gonna wear his ears out listening to me. I'm gonna wear him out so much, he's gonna cut off one of his own. We're gonna be the same. Be like, fine, all right, take it. And if he's not, then I actively choose to rely on myself and I accept my status as someone of no agency. And this is a tough parable for us in the West. (laughs) A really tough parable. Why? Because I can talk as if God is who he says he is. Like I depend on him. But I can live as if he's not. It's a tough thing for us in the West because we don't actively need God. We don't. I don't need him. Right? I can exist in that really ugly in-between space, which talks 
as if God is my only hope. But if he doesn't come through, it's okay. I still got a job. I got a roof over my head, got food on the table, able to feed my family. I don't actively need him, not until something happens which nothing within my power can fix, like a death of a loved one or a crisis of some sort. When that happens, then I suddenly am very aware of how little power and agency I have. Which, if I may beg with humility the possible irreverence in this, that might be one of the gifts of the widow. She's forced, and I realize, how can you even say that's a gift? But she's forced to a place where she can't exist in that ugly in-between space. Right? So many of us, I think, we know there's something we want to change, but what do we do? We know we want to change while we're sitting on the couch and Netflix is on. I'll get to it tomorrow. That's just a metaphor, but it also might be quite literal for some of us. <laughs> right? We know there's something that we need to see God come through on, but we don't need it yet. We got a couple more seasons of Stranger Things. Don't we? But when the couch is stripped away and the Netflix is shut off, which is the gift of retreats, when it's just you, suddenly it cuts through that middle space and you only have two active options to make. Is God who he says he is? Or is he not? Choice is yours. Nothing passive about it. And we aren't thrown back onto our knees until we've exhausted every ounce of our own strength. So I find myself, please don't get angry with me for this one, but I find myself as I, as I walk Brooklyn and I pray, praying for crisis sometimes. I pray for crisis because I realize that there's nothing that's gonna cut through the layers that allow us to exist in that in-between space other than crises. That throws us, that wakes us up, that throws us onto our knees and that makes us ask tough questions of life and death, of what kind of life we're actually living and what we, do we wanna be living this life and who is this God I actually say I believe in and how much power does he really have? How much love does he really have? Does he really care about me? I've started yelling at God often on behalf of you. I have to turn up the AC really loud so my upstairs neighbor doesn't get angry. But I've started doing this thing where I pace because I realize that I tried to pray all the time on my knees, but I'm a very passionate Irishman. And so that doesn't work on my knees. So I pace and I just pray. And I've started yelling to God on behalf of you and on Brooklyn and us. I must see God show up. I must, otherwise we're wasting our time. I've talked about this before, but I want to talk about it again because it's where my heart is at and it's where I feel like God is leading us as a community. Year one at Hope Brooklyn was me learning that lesson. <laughs> and I didn't know I had to learn it. I talked and I believed that this was all up to God. That if, that if anything was going to happen, it's going to happen through him. But I lived and I worked as if it was all up to me. And I burnt out. <laughs> I wore myself out. I took on way too much. I had my cursory prayer times in the mornings and the evenings. But other than that, it was like, I know that God has to do this, but I'm gonna make it happen over here. <laughs> and what happened? I burnt out. It didn't happen as I thought. And then I broke down. 
I broke. I got to the end of myself. I reached my own personal crisis. I can't do this. And I was visibly, uh, uh, viscerally aware that I couldn't do this. I cannot manufacture anything. So I have to make a choice. Do I keep going this route or do I actually take prayer seriously and throw myself onto Jesus? And I did that one. I started prayer walking like crazy. I started worshiping far more than I strategized. When my prayer life was just so dry, I'd wake up in the morning, and I still do this now, and I just turn on worship music, and I pace and I worship and pray, because I don't know what to say sometimes. I just worship, just threw myself there, and he started meeting me. He started meeting me in ways that I didn't think were possible, and he started meeting some of you, and I know your stories. And that was an answer to my prayer as well. And he started stirring. He started stirring. And it just, man, once you taste a little bit of that, you're like, all right, I'm all in. I don't want anything else. We must have this. Either God is who he says he is, or he's not. And so we're about to move into the fall. We have one more month of summer, and then we're back in the fall. Guys, we're back in the fall crazy. But there's been a stirring in our culture. And I feel like God is on the cusp of doing something really profound amongst, amongst us. And I want to be ready for that. I don't know what it's going to be, but I want to be ready. And so I want to invite you to throw yourself upon God with me. If you're angry at God, throw yourself upon him. If you're bitter, throw yourself. If you're cynical, if you're not even sure about this whole God thing, throw yourself because you, there are no passive decisions. You only have two active options. Why not try one? Why not say this is the year where I'm just going to see if God is who he says he is and we're going to do it together pray or live in opposition to the faith. That's all we have. I want your faith to be renewed this year. I want you to taste new faith this year. I want to see the Spirit of God move through us in ways that we thought were impossible. As Ephesians 3 says, to the God who is able to do exceedingly more than what we ask or imagine. Who says that unless it's true? Paul didn't say to the God who does exactly what we ask and no more. No, that's what we do. We do the bare minimum. We find out how much is God asking of me? How much is my spouse asking of me? I'll do that and no more. Maybe that's just me. To the God who is able to do exceedingly more. What you have in your mind saying, God, I need you to come through here. And he's got something that'll blow that out of the water. Exceedingly more than what we can ask or imagine. That's who we're dealing with. That's who we're dealing with. And we have choices. Do we think it is or is not? Do we want to see if it is or do we not? Those are our choices. And I want to see it. I've already started to see glimpses. I've already started to taste it. And I'm going there. That's where I'm going. I'd love you to come with me. I told this story once this past uh, April. There was a, uh, a conference in New York City that the Hope family of churches, if anyone doesn't know that, Hope Brooklyn's part of a larger family of churches called Hope Church NYC. 
and we put on a conference called New City. And uh, Tim Keller was talking on prayer. And he was talking about how all great movements of God start in prayer. Every single one. You cannot find a move of Jesus throughout the last 2,000 years that did not begin in prayer. You can't find it. And then he shared his own story. For those of you who don't know Tim Keller, he's a pastor. He was the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in 1989 in the Upper West Side. Um, And he shared this, and I, I dare say most of us didn't know this aspect of Redeemer's story. Because when you look at Redeemer, Redeemer's an interesting example. Uh, Tim Keller, and I'm a, I'm a, he would say this about himself, he's not exactly an exciting dude. <laughs> like he's not a, a really engaging speaker or anything. Like he's really smart. He's super intelligent. But he's not an engaging speaker. The worship that like Redeemer did, it's not like really dynamic. It's very Presbyterian. Shout out to the Presbyterians in the room. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like, it's pretty humdrum. And yet when they started in 1989, it just exploded over the next couple of years. Like no one could have imagined. No one could have imagined. Even Tim and, and his wife, Kathy, they were like, we we're just dumbfounded. And then he told the story of how Redeemer started. And this is what he said. He goes, people don't know this about the Presbyterian church, the denomination, but every year they take up an offering for uh, the next year for a single um, project. And in 1988, the offering they took up was for this new church plant that was going in Manhattan called Redeemer. So all these churches took up a monetary offering at the end of the year and gave it to Redeemer. But here's the thing that people don't know, that they not only commit to the money, but they commit to praying for that project over the course of the next year. So in 1989, the first year of Redeemer's existence, as he says, over 450 churches, not people, churches, we're praying for one single solitary project in Manhattan. And he goes, you know, my wife and I, we often joke that we just did not see this happening, but considering this fact, perhaps we shouldn't have been so surprised. All great movements start with prayer. And I'm not just talking about corporate movements, but movements in your own life. Start with prayer. And just so you know, because I know some people are thinking, I don't know how to pray. There's no wrong way to pray. Actually, strike that. There's one wrong way to pray, not doing it. That is the only wrong way. You show up, you babble, you don't know what you're doing, but you show up with the heart that says, I'm showing up for you, God. That is the right way to pray. That is the right way. And so here's what I'm inviting us into. As we get ready for the fall, as we get ready for our fall kickoff on September 9th. Shout out for fall kickoff. Woo! I'm inviting us as a community to four weeks of 12 hours of continuous prayer. Now, hold on, hold on. I know what you're thinking. Like, I got to pray for 12 hours? No, because we are a body and we can pray together. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide up the day into 15-minute increments between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. And I'm inviting you to sign up for one 15-minute increment and commit to praying over the course of these next four weeks. And just in case, even if that's like, whoa, that feels daunting, we are also meeting you there too. So if you wanna pray for only two of those four weeks, you can do that. We're gonna start it a week from tomorrow on August 13th, and we're gonna go from August 13th to August 27th, the first two weeks, or August 27th to September 9th, the second two weeks. So you can sign up for either 
one of those 15-minute chunks in, um, in a two-week segment, or you can sign up for all four weeks. I'm inviting you to join me in this, to sign up for a 15-minute block and commit to praying. Commit to praying for yourself. Kind of make this a line in the sand type thing. And if you're here and you don't believe in God, I'm inviting you to hear me. I'm inviting you to actually test your, your hypothesis, to pray to a God you're not sure you believe in and just see what happens. To pray for yourself. Where's an area in your life where you need God to show up this next year? To pray for a friend. Who's someone in your heart, in your life that you that your heart is going out toward, that you know God needs to meet them. To pray for them, to invite them on our fall kickoff on September 9th, because on that day, amongst other things, we're gonna have tons of carnival stuff. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna launch a new sermon series, but we're also launching tables, which for those of you who don't know, tables are small groups that meet throughout Brooklyn. Right now, we're in the process of training table leaders. And it's gonna be, that's been something that's on my heart that I've been praying for a lot that in these spaces, God meets us. So I'm inviting you to invite a friend so that they can sign up to a, for a table with you this year to see if God is who he says he is. I'm inviting you to pray for Hope Brooklyn, for this next chapter in our story, that the Holy Spirit meets us in a way that is exceedingly above what we can imagine, that there would be groundswell and if, you, if you, all of this is like, man, I don't know, I'm not sure, we're gonna be walking along beside you throughout the whole thing. We just need you to show up. There's no wrong prayer. Sharon, who's our prayer team lead, she's gonna send out emails of encouragement is also, as well as uh, a template for anyone who's like, I don't know how to fill 15 minutes of prayer. She's gonna send you with line by line. Start with silence for a minute, then uh, listen to a worship song, then pray about this for two minutes. So we're gonna be there for you. There's no wrong way. All it is, you have two active options. Which one do you choose? And that's not meant to put any sense of like shame. Hopefully you know me well enough by now to know there's no shame for where we are. We get to walk beside each other. But it is, that's, that's why I'm standing, guys. That's why there's no stool. It is a sense of maybe poking you a little bit, right? Maybe poking you. Maybe I'm taking the remote and shutting off Netflix. I'm going to stay with that metaphor. I'm going to take your hands and pull you off the couch. What do you decide? What do you decide? What do you want? So again, three things being asked. And with that, I want to invite the worship team back up. Three things being asked. Sign up for a 15-minute block. The sign-ups will be at the what's next table after service. And commit to pray. One prayer where you need God to show up this next year. One person who's just on your heart that you want to invite on fall kickoff as well as to join a table with you. And for Hope Brooklyn, for groundswell to happen, for faith to rise up amongst us. And it cannot happen except if God does it. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen through the prayers of us as a community. Would you stand with me? I, uh, over the last couple months, like I told you, God's been doing something in my own heart. And um, there was a particular day where my, my friend, who's a pastor, he had posted something about this new song that he was just loving. 
And uh, it was a dry day for me. And so I was sitting in my chair one morning and I turned it on and I started listening to it. And I finished it and I hated it. <laughs> Maybe hate's a strong word, but I did not like it. And then I replayed it. And then I replayed it again. And I couldn't stop listening to this song. And now, like, again, we're just starting, like, I'm already feeling my spirit. I want to cry. God has so used this song for me. It's been the prayer of my heart. It's been both arms outstretched. It's been the story of the last year for me and I think for Hope Brooklyn. And I dare say it's some of your own stories as well. I want this song to be a prayer for us that invites us into this next chapter together. That invites us as a community to say, we're all in, God. We're all in. We don't know who you are fully. We don't know what you're going to do, but we're all in. Father, we need you. Father, we need you. I know there are hearts here who are straining to believe the words that I'm saying, but cynicism is just attacking it. Holy Spirit, would you eliminate it? Would you silence that, those cynical thoughts? Would you remove from us the pain of past wounds? In these moments, would you touch them? Turn our eyes back onto you and invite us back into your arms. You want us, Lord. You will not stop until you have us. If the unjust judge would hear the cries of the widow, how much more so a good father who adores his children. And I know we're scared, Lord. We're scared to take this step. But let us do it afraid. So meet us, Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.